Hey everyone, I'm glad to be back with you today for episode two of Worth Recovery. When I started this journey and decided I was going to do a podcast, uh, my therapist asked me to define what success might look like. That's a great exercise. I used to do this all the time in professionally with groups that I worked with, like what does success look like to you? Define success. How are you going to determine that you're successful? So I thought about it for a long time and I came up with a number, 20. I figured if 20 people listened to what I had to say and resonated with it, I would feel successful. That would be great for me. I am incredibly humbled to say that as of this morning, this podcast has been downloaded over 80 times. 80 times. I admit that I'm panicked a little bit and the number just keeps growing every day. But what that really says to me is that there are a lot of women out there struggling and needing to find support. And I'm incredibly humbled and grateful to be a part of that. A few days before I launched, I was having this huge anxiety crisis. I had recorded my first episode and I had edited it like a million times. I was worried about saying um too many times or laughing at myself too much, which I tend to do quite a bit. I was scared and worried that people would listen to me and think that I had nothing really to offer and that I'd be rejected. I was super scared that no one would even just want to listen. After debating for an hour about calling someone and reaching out, I finally did. I called a woman who has become one of my dearest and closest friends, and I was incredibly humbled when she said to me, I'm paraphrasing here, you know, our truest friends sing back our own song to us when we have forgotten the words. I'm going to tell you what you always tell me, she said. You are worthy and capable. People are going to love you because of your imperfections and not in spite of them. She said exactly what I needed to hear that day, and I will be forever grateful for her encouragement. There are so many of us feeling isolated and wanting to connect and needing help. So with it being Valentine's Day this week, I challenge you to share this podcast with another woman that you know could use it. Send a quick email or a text, express your love for them, and invite them to join us. Remind them that they are worth recovery. I also invite you to share your story with us. On the website, www.worthrecovery.com, there is a place where we are accepting stories. Look for the tab titled Women's Stories at the top. The goal here is to develop a repository of your experiences that we can read and gain courage, hope, and strength from. Be brave and share your story. They can be published anonymous if you want. I learn the most from hearing and reading the experiences of others. They help me make connections about my own story and they help me find the strength that I need and I want to carry on in my life. In episode zero, I shared a little bit of my story and about the events that led me into recovery. This brings me kind of to the topic I want to discuss today. People often refer to this moment as hitting bottom. We sometimes think about bottom as this thing that happens to us, like we have no say in the matter. We believe it has to be one of these overwhelmingly big events that leave us shattered and devastated. We use words like hitting bottom, I was knocked down, I hit rock bottom, kind of some violent words there. We have phrases like, the only good thing about hitting rock bottom is that it can't be any worse. However, I don't believe that that is exactly the way it is. As I reflect on my life in addiction, I see many, many opportunities that I had to change. 
In episode zero, I shared that having an affair was a boundary I swore I would never, ever cross. Yet, early on in my addiction, I met a man from a Craigslist ad at a Starbucks one night. We chatted and then we went back to my house. After some more time of talking and kissing, he told me he was married, but that he and his wife had an open relationship and they each had additional sex partners. What? Yeah, no way. I was not going to cross that boundary. That was not what I wanted and not the kind of life that I wanted to live. And so I asked him to leave. I swore that night I was going to stop all of this craziness in my life. I swore I was going to be done and change and quit putting myself in risky situations. Yet, I don't think it was more than two weeks before I was back out there. That is just one small example of the several times I told myself I was going to be done with this addiction and was going to change my life. Yet, they didn't take. Recovery literature is full of examples and experiences of others who also had multiple opportunities to hit bottom. Bill W. in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous shares many of his opportunities and the devastation that was part of his life several different times before he finally found and stayed in recovery. Quote, Gradually, things got worse. The house was taken over by the mortgage holder. My mother-in-law died. My wife and my father-in-law became ill. Then I got a promising business opportunity. Stocks were at the low point in 1932, and I had somehow formed a group to buy. I was to share generously in the profits. Then I went on a bender, and the chance vanished. I woke up. This had to be stopped. I saw I could not take so much as one drink. I was through forever. Before then, I had written lots of sweet promises, but my wife happily observed that this time I meant business. And so I did. Shortly afterward, I came home drunk. There had been no fight. Where had been my high resolve? I simply didn't know. It hadn't even come to mind. Someone had pushed a drink my way and I had taken it. Was I crazy? I began to wonder, for such an appalling lack of perspective seemed near being just that. Unquote. In reading his story, you see that there were several more instances that happened before change finally stuck for him. Over and over again, we hear of countless experiences where people had hit rock bottom and yet it didn't stick. I have witnessed several of these experiences in the lives of other addicts and have had a fair share myself. Because of this, I've come to kind of a different conclusion. I firmly believe that we don't hit bottom, we choose bottom. I believe the truth is that these bottom moments happen all of the time. Every day presents us with opportunities to change our behavior and thus change our lives. Truth is, I had chosen bottom several times. Each time I swore off sex, masturbation, fantasy, online ads, erotica, pornography, or whatever it was, I was choosing bottom. I was saying, this is going to be it. This is as far as I am willing to fall. And yet, all those times, I I couldn't make it stick. And I learned very quickly there was another bottom waiting for me. In fact, I learned that there is always another bottom waiting for me. Even now, another bottom waits for me if that is what I choose. So that kind of leaves the question, what was it about my chain of events that helped me choose bottom? And what is it about anyone's chain of events that helps them choose bottom? 
After kind of thinking about this and talking to several people, I have three thoughts on what made this bottom different for me. Now, I can only speak for myself, but I've also seen these ideas present in others' experiences as well. And so I just want to kind of share with you these three thoughts that I have about what made this bottom stick for me. And hopefully you can use these ideas to help your bottom stick for you. So the first one was, I asked for help. All of my previous attempts at recovery had been alone. I had taken many solo flights into the land of abstinence or false attempts at recovery. Sometimes I had solicited my higher power for help. Sometimes. <laughs> One time, in an attempt to try to cut off all my options, I told all of my acting out partners and looked up all my previous acting out partners and told them that I was stopping. Yeah, oh man, why did I ever think that contacting all my acting out partners at one time would be a good idea? But I tried it. Let me tell you right now, it doesn't work. So don't, don't go down that route. This time though, it was different. I decided to reach out and ask for help. My first source of help came from a qualified therapist. I found a CSAT. CSAT stands for Certified Sex Addiction Therapist to help me. For me, this was essential. I had attempted therapy before on two different occasions. Uh, I wasn't really ready at that time in my life to be honest about my addiction. And both therapists gave me some solid tips and help, but neither figured out or really attempted to figure out that I had an addiction. And with one, I, I even tried the waters a little bit. I remember telling her one day I had gone kind of on a little bender and I remember, okay, I need some help. And I sat in her office one afternoon and said, you know, I, I kind of have a little bit of a problem with masturbation. And she just kind of looked at me and I could tell she was, didn't really know what to say. And I said, yeah, you know, a while ago, a while was like, what, two days? A while ago, I had a problem with masturbation and it's kind of come back up and I don't really know what to do with about it. And I will never forget what she said. She just kind of looked at me with a little bit of a blank stare and said, you know what, Amy, you don't, you don't have time for that in your life. So the next time you're tempted, I want you to just envision a stop sign and with your eyes, just trace the letters stop over and over and over again, and then just stop. Don't do it again. Yeah. So obviously she didn't really know much about addiction and granted she wasn't a qualified addiction therapist. But I was kind of hoping that maybe she would help me or figure things out or at least ask some additional questions. So for me, finding a qualified CSAT therapist was essential. The second form of help was my 12-step group. My therapist told me I needed more than just my weekly appointments. I reached out and found a group of women who were also in recovery. These became people I could call in the middle of the night or at all times to get the help I needed. I really related to their experiences as they shared them with me. They were an essential piece to helping me choose bottom. As I heard their experiences and what they had gone through, it was a continual reminder that I didn't want that for my life. I didn't want addiction. In their experiences, I could see myself. I knew if I chose to go back out there, I could have very similar experiences. I could see the potential of what my life could look like for both good and bad. Not doing this alone and asking for help and choosing to be part of a recovery community helped me choose bottom. It put a safety net in place for me and allowed me to, that really allowed me to move forward. 
Okay, the second major change this time around was my commitment level. I became committed to the process for the long haul. And let me explain how that happened a little bit. I don't remember much about my first therapy appointment. I remember that when I called to make the appointment, I cried into his voicemail and said, I think I'm a sex addict. I knew if I didn't say it right then, while I had the courage to say it, I would probably never say it. We had our first appointment a few days later. I'm confident I cried through the whole hour, as I did for every appointment for probably over a year. Like I said, I don't remember much about it, except two things he told me at the end of the appointment. First, he said, you can recover from this. That was music to my ears. Here was a professional who saw addiction day in and day out, who had worked with sex addiction for years, telling me that I could recover. The hope and confidence that instilled in me was huge for my recovery. My therapist thought I could do this. Second, he said, this is a three to five year process. And there was the letdown. I could do this, but it was going to take three to five years. At first, I was disappointed. I wanted it to be done much sooner than that. I wanted a quick fix, a cure, a pill I could take, something that would make this go away sooner. But it soon became my mantra. The first time I relapsed, this is a three to five year process, I would tell myself. There are going to be missteps. The second time I relapsed, the third, this is a three to five year process, I would say. You know, it took me 18 months of weekly therapy and 12-step meetings, daily phone calls, step work, and many slips and relapses to finally find a sobriety that stuck for me. It was 18 months from the time I got into recovery to my current sobriety date of December 2nd, 2012. After a year of sobriety, I looked around and realized, wait, I'm sober, but my life still isn't what I want it to be. This is a three to five year process, I remember telling myself. Okay, so you're sober, but there are a lot of other things and trauma in your life that you need to work through and recover from. Countless times when I look around and self-reflect and realize this is not yet the life I want to be living, my therapist's voice goes through my head. This is a three to five year process. This July 2016 marks five years since I have been in recovery. And let me tell you, he was totally right. And I will be forever grateful that was what he said to me at our first appointment. Because having that outlook from the beginning required me to be committed. I knew it was going to be a long process, longer than I wanted, but it also gave me permission to make mistakes and to try things out. It helped me have reasonable expectations of myself and those around me. Being committed helped ensure that this was my bottom and I wasn't going to go out and look for another one, at least for three to five years, right? (laughs) So asking for help, being committed were the first two things that made this time really different. The third was this. I found ways to continually remind myself why this needed to be my bottom. You know, I actively sought out ways to remind myself why I was doing this. They came in the form of pictures around my office or my bedroom, my house. They came in inspirational quotes or thoughts from others that I would collect. They came in the form of lists and journal entries. Sometimes they came in walks or time outside. I would seek ways to remind myself why I was doing this. I reviewed my early recovery journal recently and was fascinated by some of er my early writings. Nearly every day I would write this in my journal. 
I want a different life because, and then you could fill in the blank. I'll share some of them. I want a different life because I can't stand living in fear. Because I don't want to be angry anymore. Because I would like to be in a real relationship one day. Because I'm scared that all of my sexual experiences will be addictive ones. Because I'm tired of living a dual life and feeling alone. Because one day I want to have kids. Because I hate that I hate myself. I could go on and on and on. Every day I would remind myself why I was committed to this process. Why this needed to be my bottom. And in reminding myself over and over again, I became more and more committed, which just helped me in reaching out, asking for help, and making sure that this time was going to stick. These three things, asking for help, commitment for the long haul, and constant reminders helped me to stay sober and in recovery. They helped me lay down more and more anchors for my recovery so it wouldn't get lost in winds or storms or go adrift maybe when I wasn't quite paying attention. Even today, these three principles are still an essential part of maintaining my chosen bottom. They also have served as really great warning signs. If I'm not asking for help, I'm in serious danger of losing bottom. When my commitment level starts to waver and I start looking for a quick fix, I'm definitely in serious danger of losing my bottom. And if I lose sight of the why, if I forget the reason I'm doing this, I can almost guarantee you that I'm going to slip and find another bottom. You know, about 18 months ago, I was working some really long hours. I was traveling nearly 100% of the time. I was leaving every Monday, returning on Friday or Saturday, sometimes even staying weekends. They were long, stressful weeks. And because of this, my therapy and meeting attendance was spotty at best, for sure. I would try and attend meetings in the cities I was visiting, but it didn't always work out. I did some therapy Skype sessions, but it wasn't quite the same either. I wasn't asking for help or consultation on what I was doing. My commitment level was cooling off as I let other things start to become priorities in my life. One night, laying in a hotel room, I was struggling to sleep. My mind wandered and caught hold of a sexual fantasy. I started thinking about how easy it would be to act out while I was on the road. Not quite sure why that hadn't occurred to me before, but it hadn't. I facilitated strategic planning meetings all day long, but I had all my nights free. I started composing in my head the perfect Craigslist ad, crafting every word to try to hook the right partner. I don't know how long I laid there, but the fantasy was all-consuming. For some reason, all the acting out I could do on the road really hadn't occurred to me, but here it was staring me in the face. My fantasy went way beyond things I had ever done before. The weird freedom I felt from acting out in other states allowed my mind to run wild. And I mean wild. Things that had never occurred to me all of a sudden became possibilities in my mind. Gratefully, my program kicked in. I made a phone call and did some writing. I got out of bed and I prayed to my higher power. Over the next few days, I did some serious self-reflection. If I wanted to keep my sobriety and my recovery, it was time to rekindle my commitment. I dug deep and reminded myself of all the reasons I wanted recovery and all the reasons I didn't want to find a new bottom. And then I reached out for help. I renewed my relationship with my sponsor. I called and scheduled therapy. I committed to 12-step meetings. And I asked for a new assignment at work that would let me be home more often. 
These things took courage and sacrifice, but if I wanted to maintain my bottom, I knew that courage and sacrifice was what it was going to take. So here I am, four and a half years later, after that series of events that led me to recovery. And these three principles are still a big part of why I'm sober. One, I ask for help. I continue to see a therapist. I reach out to the women around me. I reach out to family members. I reach out to people that are safe and people that can help me in a variety of ways, not just with my recovery, but I reach out and ask for help. And second, I'm, I'm committed. I'm committed to this. I'm committed to my recovery. I've put way too much time into it to turn and walk away. It is what brings me so much peace and joy in my life. And so I am committed. I'm committed for the long haul, even past the five years. I'll have to come up with a new saying, but when I hit that five-year mark, but I am committed to my recovery for the long haul. And last, I continually remind myself why I do this. And I find, I seek out ways to remind myself why I do this. This last holiday season, I had probably the best Christmas with my family that I have ever had as an adult for a number of years. I had such a great time and I know, I know that a lot of that has to do with my own personal recovery work. I have really great relationships with people around me and I know that has to do with my recovery work. The duality of my life is almost non-existent and I know that has to do with my recovery work. And best of all, I don't hate myself anymore. And I know that has to do with my recovery work. All of those reasons I was scared before, all those things that kept me in recovery early on, still keep me in recovery. Because the more progress I make on them, the more committed I become, and the more willing I am to continue to ask for help. I hope that the bottom that you have chosen is the last one. I know that there is always another bottom out there. And that every day I have to consciously choose to stay where I'm at and to move forward and to not slip backwards. So have you done these things? Have you asked for help? Are you committed? Do you have ways that you constantly remind yourself of your why, why you're doing this? In sharing the reasons why this was different for me, I hope this helps you choose bottom and not let it become some arbitrary event that you feel you have no control over. Bottom doesn't happen to us. We choose our bottom. I want to hear about how you are choosing bottom. On the website, www.worthrecovery.com, look for the women's stories area and share your bottom with us. We want to hear about it so that we can support you and help you stick to the bottom that you've chosen. I want to remind you that you are worth recovery and that you are so, so incredibly loved. Can't wait to talk to you again. Until next time, Amy.
The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.